Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kaveh. Lizzie couldn't join us tonight. Um, you know, all that extra money that we're getting as doctors to fake COVID diagnoses. She got her check come in and she's out on the town. So in her place, we have the one, the only, Ryan Marino. Dr. Ryan Marino, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if you get those checks too. I'm still waiting for my Soros protest checks to come in. Um, but, uh, any day now I'm expecting that and my COVID bonus. Yeah. I've just been sleeping on a pile of money. <laughs> Scrooge McDucking it, just swimming backwards <laughs> in a vault of cash. <laughs> That's the masks I've been wearing. I, I don't put a filter in the cloth mask. I just put hundred dollar bills in. <laughs> Um, all right. So I do have, I got something I got to talk to you about. Um, I had a scare. I had a COVID scare. Um, and I don't know if you've had one of these yet, but, um, so my family, uh, my wife started to feel a little ill and then it kind of went to my kids and there was just like a day or so where we're just like, Oh no, here we go. Cause my wife, she's a hospitalist. She works with a lot of COVID patients and we're just like, here, here it comes, here it comes. And it was like only a day or so of really not knowing, day and a half. And we're lucky some some places have tests that take longer, but that was a rough, like day and a half. I was like, man, here it comes the wife and I. We're gonna get it. It's gonna be sick. We're gonna be. It's gonna be bad. We have kids. What the hell's gonna happen? It was a stressful seventy-two hours or so. Have you had this happen to you yet? Yeah, there was one situation where I thought I I had it. And thankfully did not. Um, but I've had family members who have gotten it now um, and kind of gone through the same things. And I mean, thankfully, they're, for the most part, everyone I know who's had it has done okay. There definitely have been some people who haven't. But yeah, the, I mean, you, the you, struggle is real. I mean, that's such <laughs> yeah. a stupid, stupid phrase. But like, I don't know, every day I wake up, my throat has a tickle. My sinuses are full of snot. I'm yeah. just like, oh, here it goes. Yeah, here it goes. Here, here it comes. Let's lock in for this ride. No, it's true. Um, and I know the odds. I know the odds are in my favor for the most part. I mean, I have some asthma, so it concerns me. But like, you know, I, I know the odds are still pretty good. But it, I don't know. It doesn't emotionally, even though you intellectually know that emotionally, you, there's still that possibility. It's hard to not 
think about it, it it's, it's, it's every time I have that, you know, little weird cough, that little tickle in the back of the throat, that postnasal drip, that regular run the mill stuff, it just sets me off on a dark place now. So, um, yeah, it's a bummer, man. And I don't, and obviously I don't think either one of us believes that we're going to be out of the woods in the next coming months. I mean, it's just only going to get worse in the next coming months. So how are you preparing? Yeah. How are you preparing for this next season? I mean, I think one of the things about this that scares me the most, I mean, in the emergency room, like last year was a horrible flu year. I got the flu from working in the ED and having someone cough in my face and was sick for like two weeks. And I know that I have a risk of all that stuff that I guess is kind of in the job description. But with COVID, even though I know I probably won't die, like it's, we, we just don't know so much about it. Who knows what the long-term complications are? There's so many weird things it can do to the body. I mean, that's what really like keeps me up at night. Yeah. In, in terms of what we're seeing now, I mean, I'm, I'm currently on vacation, so that's great. It couldn't have come at a better time. Not that I can do anything, um, but the cases have just been astronomical around here. Um, our, our hospitals are seeing increasing admissions, increasing ICU admissions. Um, it's, it's just not good. And I know this is happening around the country. So I don't know what's going to happen between now and the next couple months. It's going to be pretty awful. It's going to be pretty, it's going to be pretty fucking awful. Um, and, uh, when, when I see the, the tweets of people like Scott Atlas, people who are supposed to be leading our, um, our, our attack on this COVID epidemic pandemic, um, asking or threatening the governor of Michigan, for not opening her state up earlier. Um, I just, I just, I'm so disheartened. I'm so disheartened by what's to come and the next coming months. And I see that 38 or 30 to 40% of Americans are planning on doing a big Thanksgiving thing. I'm just terrified. I'm just terrified. Christmas could be, could be potentially the most awful month. I think any of us have experienced in medicine. Yeah. I mean, I think the way it's going right now, we should expect that we will see record deaths on Christmas. Um, I mean, like we have uncontrolled spread in every state. We're a little over a week and a half away from Thanksgiving. Um, 40% of people said they're going to get together, which is probably an underrepresentation because of knowing kind of like the, right. the public, right. sh- public shaming aspect. Um, and even if it is just 38%, that's still enough. And then what Christmas is, Five five weeks after that, yeah, it's the the trajectories do not look good. Man, all I want for Christmas is for the world not to end. I feel like I'm not asking for that much, but we're gonna see if it pans out. Um, yeah, and I think people don't realize that like it's not just everyone getting sick. It's like once too many people are sick, you can't do anything for. <laughs> I mean, no. I could be the best doctor in the world. I'm not, I definitely am not. Um, but like, you, you don't want me managing your ICU care for three days for a week while you sit waiting for a bed somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you don't want a gastroenterologist such as myself being forced to come in and <laughs> intubate you in the ICU. Holy hell. It's going to be ugly. Hey, if anyway. you have to intubate me. Just use a lot of drugs. Oh, uh, that's the one thing I'll promise my patients, assuming we don't run out of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, okay. So we have a great guest coming up. We have Dr. Steven Sample, and he is otherwise known on the interwebs as 
Dr. Jafford will explain what Dr. Jafford stands for. Um, stay tuned. He's a great guest. Before um, we go there, though, a couple of people I want to thank, as always, want to thank Nadim for doing uh, or helping us get these episodes out there. I want to thank you to Jocko Fernand for having me on his really excellent Twitch show recently. It's a lot of fun. If you're on Twitch, check it out. Thank you to Cody Johnston and Katie Stoll for having me on their show, Even More News. It's that was a, a ton of fun. Stay tuned to hear me on uh, Haas Bossman show, Breadsheets, and Dr. Dana Coriel has something coming up on December 6th, a live panel where we'll be talking about the book, The House of God. It's going to be a lot of fun, lots of fun stuff coming up to hopefully help us get through what could be an otherwise pretty bad Christmas. So stay tuned. And as always, make sure you follow Ryan. What's your handle again? Ryan Marino, R-Y-A-N-M-A-R-I-N-O. Definitely follow him if you haven't already. If you're not on Twitter, he is a reason you should be on Twitter. Stay tuned. All right, and we're back. We are here with Dr. Stephen Sample. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, by the way. We really appreciate it. I'm stoked, man. I'm sorry I don't get to meet Lizzie today. Um, oh, you're not missing I, out. You're I, not missing much. No, I fell asleep listening to you guys talk about microaggressions last night. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> I do have these soothing dulcetone tones that you do. I think can put anyone to bed. It's that nasal quality that really hits home. <laughs> um, so let, let's let's start with your Twitter handle. Uh, it's Dr. Yeah. Jafford, J-A-F-E-R-D. <laughs> can you tell us what that stands for and how you decided to pick that for your name? Yeah, well, when I started my Twitter handle, uh, Jafford stands for just a fucking ER doc, um, and that's pretty well known across the emergency medicine. It's kind of our little inside names for ourselves. Uh, when you have a good save, you're a Baffert, which is a badass fucking ER doc. And uh, when you're when you're just going through going through pissing off your consultants, you're you're a Jafford. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I picked that. I started out with Twitter. Um, with my real name um, and I tend to get loud on Twitter uh, occasionally and I started getting some feedback that I didn't really love and I just said screw it and so I went anonymous Um, and then during this whole pandemic thing I started becoming unanonymous because I was on TV Uh, so I'm just sort of semi-anonymous if you bounce across me you won't know who I am but you can find it out pretty easy yeah yeah, I think we're yeah. Ryan's out there full like Ryan just flagrantly Ryan being Ryan on Twitter. Ryan don't give a fuck. But <laughs> no. uh most of us are semi anonymous, not really. But you're on TV all the time. You're like basically co hosting the eleventh hour with Ryan <laughs> Williams at this point. I yeah. wish I think that's that's Vin Gupta, man. Uh Vin Gupta's got it all. He's got the, <laughs> the he's, he's got the lockdown. stuff. Yeah. It's been super weird. Um, it's been super weird during this whole pandemic thing. You know how like all of a sudden small town guy from you know, cornfields of Indiana ends up on, on TV. Um, it was kind of weird how it happened, actually. Uh, I saw early on when New York was starting to burn with COVID, um, Katie Tour, who has an afternoon show on, on MSNBC, I saw she had just tweeted out, hey, I'm opening up my DMs to medical professionals for like an hour or something like that. I'm just, I want to hear some takes. Um, and at that point in time, we had zero coronavirus in our county, uh, very little in the state at all. Uh, but we were all terrified, you know, and I was like, I said, I know you're probably getting a bunch of horror stories from these big cities uh, where it's on fire. I said, I thought you might like the perspective of somebody who feels like it's coming at them like a slow moving freight train. Um, 
and she kind of bit on it and said, holy crap, I like that. Will you, will you come on my show tomorrow? And I, and I talked to her for a little while. Um, and then the next time I was on with her the following week and Brian was just happened to be co-hosting with her for a couple of weeks. Um, and I guess he liked me. So his producer started contacting me and stuff. So I've been on some other ones, but he's my kind of my steady gig. Yeah, man, you do a really good job with it. I mean, I think it's a good, it's a good balance to have a doctor with a real voice, a real authentic voice like your own. I mean, there's a lot of great doctors out there doing stuff on TV, but you know, a lot of them talk, like you would expect a doctor to, and you talk mm-hmm. a little bit more like we really talk. Right. You're using an authentic voice. I think that goes a long way. I really like that about when you yeah. do a TV presence. Yeah, I don't think you're, you're putting on an affectation. You're not putting on an act. No. I mean, and that's kind of like one of the things about the show is we kind of wanted to show like, this is how doctors actually talk when they're sitting around talking to each other. You know, sometimes right. an F-bomb will fly. We don't mean to do it. We don't, <laughs> go out of our, we don't go out of our way to do it, but you know, if it happens, we're okay with it. Um, yeah, for sure. To that end, though, I mean, I think when when I've seen you on with Brian Williams, like you're you're also very eloquent and um, <laughs> I, I would say polished. Even like dropping the f bomb, it, it's very appropriate. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's another word that you can substitute when you're when you're talking. So the it is it is uh, it's funny that you say that because I have terrible stage fright um, and I am in a near panic every time I go live, like panic. Um, and like I, I take a, a 20 milligram propanolol before I go on, like an hour before yeah. I go on. And I've usually down two ounces of bourbon before I go on, um, yeah. just to try to calm my ass down. There was a couple of times where, um, when they were going to me live, especially early, there was one time where I was starting to vagal, like in the last like 20 seconds mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. live. And I started to kind of break yeah. out into a sweat and they yeah. came to me and I was going, holy shit, I'm going to pass out on the <laughs> you know? I mean, I really thought I was going out. And I was like, hi, Katie, you know? So, and then, like, uh, you just, we, you were probably just, like, talking. And then, like, two minutes into your talking, you're like, what am I saying? I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm not even, like, really yeah, no, here. I, I don't, I never know what I said, really. I have some vague idea of the way it went. But I don't, I don't watch back anymore. I watched back the first couple of times. Um, but I'm, I'm extremely self-critical and I'm like, oh, you, you bumble fucked your words there. And, and, and so I'm never happy with what I got out because I've got so much on my mind that I want to say, and you never know exactly how he's going to go. Um, and Brian's a little tough because sometimes when he asks you a question, he will give you a lead in. And as he's talking, you're kind of half listening to him and you're half formulating your response. And then he'll finish his lead in and then he will ask you something completely different. And you're like, (laughs) Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, my God. Yeah. So, but, but uh, you actually have though a little bit more, I think, background in, I guess, presenting yourself, right? Cause you did music for a while. You were like, in, and I, I mean, yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. What, what was the story with this? So, I mean, I was the high school, I was the high school choir boy and like, and I, I sang in the choir and I was the, the male lead and all the musicals while I was in school. You know, I was a pretty good singer in high school. Um, and, um, and then I went up to IU to major in pre-med stuff. You know, I enrolled as a biology major as we do, um, or as we did at least in, in the early nineties. But, um, uh, and, uh, when I got up there, I found a group called the singing Hoosiers that I sang in. And I found out when I was at IU, even with one of the best schools of music in the world that I was actually still pretty good. Uh, so I was like featured soloist in the, in the group and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and so I got the music bug and med the medical bug just went away. I mean, completely. Um, I sat awake all night uh, with my girlfriend one night and I was like, I got to leave. I got to drop out of school. I got to move to Nashville. Because at the time, just the way my voice is structured, um, I was I was a pretty good country music singer. Don't even really love country music anymore. I, I liked it in the 90s for a minute, but uh, that's what I sounded, I thought, the best at. And yeah. so I dropped out. I hung out for another year and just drank beer and partied and worked at a sorority house and sang with that group, even though I wasn't enrolled in classes. And, and wait, what did and you then, do uh, with the? What did you do at the sorority house? Were you like I, I a houseboy? I was the assistant chef and part-time houseboy. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> what was chef. that like? It was pretty weird. Uh, it got you some. <laughs> it got you some dates, but it also let you. You also saw the girls at you know seven o'clock in the morning when they rolled out of bed with their hair and their mm -hmm. in their buns and no makeup. And it was like yeah. for a nineteen for a nineteen year old kid, I was like, oh my god, that's what you look like in the real world. <laughs> but uh, but it was fun. So no, I dropped out of school and I actually uh, I, I moved to Nashville. Um, I, I left. I left Bloomington. Um, and I, I moved home with my folks for a summer to save some cash for, for, uh, just to go to Nashville, me and my best friend, were going to go. Um, and, uh, before I went, I was waiting tables. I was slinging steaks at a Logan's roadhouse. Um, and this girl walked in, uh, like we were in the kind of that lull between lunch and dinner service. And I was sitting up front shooting the shit with my manager. Uh, and this girl walked in and I looked over and I went, holy shit, Brian, that's Toby Vick. Now, so this girl went to high school with me. She was a year older, one of the pretty people. Um, I was not one of the pretty people. I was reasonably popular because I was nice and I got along with everybody. But uh, she was in that group where you walked up, then they walked down the hallway, you know, everybody stopped and went, Psh. you yeah. know, I would have never, never had the balls to approach her. But at that point in time, I had been singing, I had lost some weight and I was cocky as hell, uh, just <laughs> cocky. And I told him, I was like, hey, dude, that girl's looking for a summer job. You're going to hire her and I'm going to be her trainer. And he made it. So, um, this and guy I pursued, big. yeah. Yeah. So I, I pursued her like I had never pursued another human being in my life and, uh, landed her. <laughs> he landed her. Strong yeah, it was work. Like, it's like Babe Ruth calling the shot over the, over the wall, you know? And, uh, I did not, I was not calling the shot because I said, Oh my God, I want to get married and have a baby at 23. Uh, but that's what happened. Oh, so, yeah. So you had kids early. Very. Um, I moved to Nashville. Uh, she went back to University of Evansville, where she was a nursing student. She was doing her senior year. And I spent all my time in Nashville, either waiting, waiting tables and driving three hours back to Indiana to see her. Uh, wow. And then uh, she got pregnant. We got married. I went back to college. And, wait, wait. Uh, during, we this time, during this yeah. time, were you like, singing? Were you trying to make it in the business? So in, uh, well, no, I mean, that's why I moved there for, but, but I didn't have time I, because I was struck in love. So uh, before I left Nashville, I sang at a showcase for new artists uh, at the Wild Horse Saloon, which is down on the main drag in, in uh, Nashville. Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of business, got a bunch of business cards and I left Nashville two days later. Man. I never, never actually pursued it. I just spent a year of my life in Nashville, just kind of, just kind of waiting tables and hanging out. It's a good exactly. experience, though, man. It's a good experience that you had. I um, so I played in a band too, uh, pretty much oh, did you? most of my life, and never very successful. But there was like a brief moment when we were just mm -hmm. finishing up college, and we were like, "Let's see if if we could take this to the next level." We were trying to decide: Are we going to like go right. be professionals or whatever we're going to do, or are we going to do this medical school thing? Um, 
and for me, it came down to, to one time. We, we were in like Aptos, I think. I forget, some small town here in Northern California in a small little bar, not like a great gig at all. And the guys that were headlining there that night were a band. I'm not going to say their name because they're actually super cool to us. Um, and the right. story does not show them in a great light. But they were a band that was like really big at one point in the 70s. They had a big hit, a massive hit that you've heard, you probably would recognize. And yeah. they were here playing like this tiny little club to like yeah, 10, 10 like groupies that still kind of remember them. And we were mm-hmm. hanging out afterwards and, you know, like, the lead singer was this smooth dude who, um, you know, or at least you could tell at one point he was super smooth and super, super good with like the ladies and all that. But here he was well past his prime hitting on right. like college girls. And mm, I remember, gross. I, I, it was so gross. And one girl like walked by him and he like tapped her on the shoulder and he used this line. And it was a line that I'm sure worked a ton for him in the past but he was like yeah in 76 when i was two exactly he was like where you sleeping tonight love and she was just like ew (laughs) and she just walked off and i was like oh damn that's what happens if you make it that was like one of the 0.001 percent of bands that make it and this is what happens this is where you end up i'm like forget it that was it and then i I turned to my med school application after that that was like a couple weeks later it's it's really tough the music business you know I, I I'll be honest with you I was depressed I turned off the radio in um, like 1995 or six when I left Nashville and I turned off the radio and I didn't listen to music period full stop for for years I still don't listen to it much I listen to mostly Howard Stern he's my like he's my yeah. he's my he's my guy but uh, but the um, but I was so depressed because I like I was kind of angry. Uh, and I was like, I had the skill set. I know, yeah. I know now that I had the skill set. And so I thought that I had basically shortchanged myself, I think. And I, I had a lot of resentment in my life. I resented mm. just kind of everybody around me. And I resented the situation that I put myself in. But yeah. it took me till I was like 40. And I realized that I didn't have what it takes. I had the voice that it takes, but I did not have that unrelenting drive. You know, if, if yeah. I had what it takes, right. I wouldn't have been distracted by a girl because I sure. would have said, no, my music is first. Right, so right, right. if I had, if I had, I had the drive, I would have bothered to learn the guitar and not relied on my stagecraft. Right. Because gotcha. you put me in front of a mic and a band and I'm a showman, but that doesn't go far when you are trying to, when, when people ask you to come and play for tips downtown Nashville, just you and your guitar and a microphone. Right, Cause right, I couldn't right. do that, you know? So, yeah. uh, so I had the voice, but not anything else that required you know, I look pretty good in uh, uh, tight black blue jeans and a cowboy hat. So I'll tell you that. <laughs> Not me. All right. Hold on. I think Ryan, who's been, uh, he, he, there is apparently tornadoes over where he's at. So his Wi-Fi is cutting oh. in and out. But oh, no. I, I think he's back on to join us a little bit. Um, Ryan. Yeah, I think I heard most of that. Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't have anything exciting in my past. I'm not good at music in any, any form. But uh, Greg Gaffin from bad religion was actually mm-hmm. my biology professor in college <laughs> even if you make it as like a big rock star i guess the the call back to kind of the sciences is always right. there right and i'm also it's, making uh, it yeah. sound like i had a, a real shot i mean i did it i mean right. <laughs> like, you know none of, I, I, none of us yeah. well you might have but certainly not me well my daughter but, my daughter is kind of in the same situation right now she is she is a better she was a better singer at 13 than i ever got at my best um, and she's gorgeous and she's beautiful and she plays the guitar and she writes, but so do a lot of people. 
Like, I mean, all you have to do is turn on one of the 10 million shows that people sing on and you realize there's so much talent out there. And so, so much of it is, is both unrelenting drive and just pure dumb luck. Yeah. So, so so yeah, knocked out my girlfriend and went back to college and here here we are. Just like, it's the way we do it in Southern Indiana, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, but when I went back, uh, I got serious and because I was going to school full-time and working full-time and actually had our second child while I was in college. So I had two when we started med school. Man. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, definitely unique. I was 26 when I was a freshman in med school. So I applied. It's funny. I see how my, do- my daughter is pre-med uh, now as well. And I see the pressure uh, on these kids, you know, with social media, they all, all these pre-meds interact. And I was there at the, like the onset of something called student doctor network, which you guys have been on back in the day, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you got guidance and, and compared notes, but with social media now, I mean, these kids are, I mean, I think the average, the average matriculant to medical school's got like 400 published papers and, you know, <laughs> and, and stuff yeah. like that. So she's, my daughter is like completely piling work on herself just to work hard and she's freaking out. Um, and I, I was oblivious, right? I had two kids and I was working six nights a week, uh, until midnight. And so I just applied to one school. Like, I was like, yeah, I'll probably get in. I was like, if I can interview, I told them, I told my wife, I was like, if I can get an interview, I can probably bullshit my way in the, in the door. So what um, I've learned about you so far is basically you got, you like lucked into like an amazing marriage. You like lucked in. <laughs> to like medical school and then yeah. like your tv gig you are, are just a, a blessed <laughs> guy this is it's, what been a, it's been a weird life man it, it sounds at what point does it stop being luck so <laughs> it starts being you must be doing so something it, right yeah man i mean it's start, in retrospect it's like it didn't feel it didn't feel lucky in the middle of it you know mm-hmm. i mean yes i came out on the back end with a lot of blessings but it was hugging hard in the middle of it you know uh, relationally, it was of course hard because it, just everybody was tired and everybody was stressed yeah. and pissed off. And, and it was a long slog. Um, w- my wife and I are together now and love each other, but we are together now because of pure force of will. Like it was, <laughs> it was not easy. And, and, and you know, I, I saw somebody one time said it and it rang such a bell. I was like, you know, the reason why we made it to the other side is neither one of us wanted a divorce at the same time. You know, there was, there was so yeah. much because she was tired and exhausted and I was tired and exhausted yeah. and um, she, cause she was doing it all. She was working full time and taking care of the house and ta- raising two babies. Uh, and I don't care how altruistic the motives are that pisses somebody off yeah. <laughs> because I had no, because I had no emotional reserve for her. Right. I came right. home and I just face planted on the couch. No, I mean, she was like, take these babies. And I was like, fuck you, you know, cause I was yeah. tired, but so was she yeah <laughs> you know right right, so right. It's, it's tough man no you're, so, you yeah, put it we really well out. it's really yeah. it's a long tough slog it is not easy to make that thing work there is it is no happy ending everyone's working through it constantly to make mm-hmm. sure it's happy or as happy as can be um yeah did, let me ask you did did being in the air force having that background learning about war because you've been overseas i think if i'm correct yeah i went um, twice you went twice yeah. how if at all, has it prepared you for what we're dealing with now with this pandemic? I mean, I think the whole medical, I, I mean, I think the whole doldrums of just the daily life of medical school residency and, and all that stuff, I think it prepares you to just bend over and take it and say, thank you, sir, may I have another, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly war. I mean, it, 
it feels similar, you know, and I'm watching the, I'm watching the population like in, in coronavirus, I'm watching them almost to our detriment, you know, they're adopting this, this kind of fog of war mindset because it's so hard. Um, and I tell people, and it's, I, I talk to my folks and, and it's so hard to maintain the degree of vigilance that you need to actually Rona correctly, you know, as opposed to incorrectly. And, um, and for a long period of time, the, when I first got to Iraq, I landed on like, like the 4th of July of 09. Like I was right there around the holiday and that we were in this like freaking seven day sandstorm. You couldn't see a hundred yards. And my second day in country, the first time I went to, it was the first time I was finding my way to the dining facility. Um, and we got there and I was wearing a backpack and I didn't realize you couldn't wear a backpack. So I got turned away because I guess early in the war, somebody walked into a dining facility and blew up their backpack and oh, wow. killed a bunch of people. So, so nobody wore backpacks in there. So I, I dropped it at my friend's trailer who was closest to the dining facility. We got back and got our trays like two minutes away and we got our first income. We, you know, we got this incoming alarm and we all hit the deck and the, the mortars landed like real close, like the whole building shook, the lights flickered and we were under the table green because it was three doctors sitting there. None of us had prior service. None of us knew what the fuck we were doing. Yeah. Um, and we were like, and then we got there and it turned out the, the mortars had landed directly in front of his trailer where we had been standing not three minutes before. But by the end of your deployment, you sit on the roof and watch them come in. You sit on the roof of the hospital where we had a smoke shack. We sit up there and smoke cigars when it was quiet. Um, and you watch them come in and you, your heart rate doesn't even jump a beat when you hear incoming because there's incoming every day. And that's what coronavirus is like, right? It's incoming every day. Um, and so people just start to fog over and, and fuck off, really. Um, Man, that is terrifying. But it, it, it sounds <laughs> like you've been, it sounds like you've been well prepared I mean, up to this point. Yeah, it, it just, it feels like it's been really frustrating out here. You know, I live in red country. Uh, my county went three or four to one to Trump this time. Um, and so I have gotten to see firsthand the, the effects of the politicization of, of, the, of the virus and, and virus, you know, simple public health response. And it, it has been an exercise in extreme frustration, uh, you know, um, very frustrating. Um, I've been on TV uh, you know, it's funny. The first time I went on TV, everybody was like, holy shit, man, that's so cool. And everybody watched, you know, they gathered around and watched me on TV. It's a, and, you know, nobody speaks of it anymore because <laughs> nobody like nobody, nobody speaks of it. I don't think they don't I don't think they watch. And if they do watch, uh, they don't talk about it because because I am I am openly critical of the response, you know, and that doesn't that doesn't sing with a lot of the a lot of the people around here you should see you should see my ass get get raked over the coals when one of the local newspaper sites links to one of my spots um they actually had to take one down the other day because people started jumping on it they weren't just bashing my politics they were like he took care of my mom and he treated her like a junkie and i couldn't say hey your mom was a junkie you know <laughs> but uh so they ended up just pulling it down uh, my wife is afraid I'm going to get us killed out here is what's, is what's going to happen because I'm loud and I don't give a fuck. Uh, you know, I'm just, I, I want people to live. I got into this to do no harm and to help people not, not, not hurt. And um, I'm just going to keep banging my drum, you know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, first of all, I really appreciate that you're out there. I mean, you know, I'm in my very left coast, San Francisco bubble. I mean, I don't, sure. I don't have that many run-ins like that. Um but where you're at is where it's the, it seems to be the most important to be doing the kind of work you're doing. Um, yeah. Do, do you feel 
like you've been able to change any perspectives on people regarding this about whether or not COVID is real or whether or not they should be wearing masks? Do you feel like you've affected anyone in your sphere of influence? Maybe I get, you know, I get some, I get like, there's like every now and again, like in the hospital, you know, I'll get like a, a secret, like, you know, kind of a, a fist of solidarity when I walk down the uh-huh. hallway, right, right. you know, cause most people, honest to God, most people around here are, are, if they don't, if they're not like, if they're not conservative and they don't kind of espouse that conservative line, they just don't talk about politics. And I do, and I yeah. scream about it, you know? Um, and uh, so I've had some of that and every now and again, you know, you'll get, patients in um who will say hey i've been watching you on tv it's awesome so but am i changing minds or am i preaching to the choir gotcha Uh, that's the question and and, you know and honest to god you know when i'm on the 11th hour i'm really preaching to my choir right Right, i mean that's a that's a pretty liberal audience um i probably am seen more in san francisco than i am in my own Mm -hmm. in my own sphere of influence but um so I'm preaching to it, you know, but then it gets shared online. And so you just hope, you hope that you hope that you are, I just, that, that's all I can do. Right. Except for staff, the ER, um, they, they've, I've been given a voice for whatever reason I've been given a voice. And I just sort of feel like my wife asked me, she was like, what do you want to come of this? And I was like, I don't know. I said, but I just sort of feel an obligation. Like most people don't get a voice. Um, and I've been given one occasionally. So I, I feel like I need to use it. I mean, I'd love to turn Sure. I, I have a performer's heart. I would love for this to spin into something, but I'm also not your regularly scheduled guest, right? Like on the 11th hour, his guy is Ven Gupta. Ven Gupta is a professor at the University of Washington, yeah. you know, and he's got the university behind him and I'm Hilljack from Southern Indiana. So I'm offering a limited time perspective. Like when, when Corona is over, I don't expect to be called on anymore, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. but, yeah, uh, but you also offer, I mean, I, you don't strike me as someone who has been a lifelong Democrat. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. But no. I, I smell, no. I smell Democrats. I could sniff them out pretty good. And you don't <laughs> strike me as one that's been like a lifelong Democrat. And you probably have no. a better gauge of what middle America is like than right. a lot of people on the, the coast. There's a little bit no, of a with that. Yeah, I voted um I voted straight ticket Republican every election of my life until two thousand and sixteen. I voted for Bernie fucking Sanders. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I had a hard I had a hard flip. Um it was, you know, because I was, you know, I'm from a red state in the middle of a red state in a red county and and, and and um, then I spent and then I was in the military culture for eight years. Um, and, you know, medicine in general, I think I think I think sometimes we get a colored perspective online because I think on Twitter and things like that, that we tend to skew towards the liberal. Um, but in reality, I mean, cons- medicine is pretty conservative. You know, I mean, it's always been a white male dominated hierarchy kind of system where shit rolls downhill. Um, but. I am a six foot four white man, so I have just routinely benefited right from from the structure of society. I mean, that's how. I mean, just the fact that it never occurred to me that I wouldn't get into medical school shows you the definite. It never occurred to me. I was like, oh, I got good grades. If I, I said all I need to do is get this on the MCAT, I'll get an interview, and if I get an interview, I'll bullshit my way in. Uh, and there's med never, students right now cursing your name. They're just stressing out, applying to a billion med schools. It's like this fucking guy. Yeah, but I didn't get it. You know, I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, and then I lived in the military for eight years where I have met some of the best human beings on the planet. 
um, many of whom have now blocked me on all social media and don't want much to do with me anymore, which sucks. Uh, but you know, where when I was in the military, there was it was Fox News in every break room. And yeah. when you when you live in that bubble, you know, and we have to be careful on our side because we assume, I think, a lot of times that bad intent. Um, but that bubble is alluring. It is powerful. And when everybody around you thinks the same way, it feels real. You know, it feels real. You know, my conservative journey went for, so when I was making, I remember exactly, cause I, I turned off the radio when I dropped, when I quit medicine or music and I was driving back and forth to Evansville and it was late night. I was listening to replays of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, and, and then it was Fox news was the only news channel I watched. Um, and I could eloquently sing you the conservative line. Um, and I believed in, now I've always been a little more socially liberal because I was in the theater. So I had, you know, I, I was the token straight guy a lot of times, um, in my theater productions and things like that. So I was always super LGBT friendly and this and that. Um, but you know, I talked about the fiscal conservatism and social liberalism or whatever, which turns out is utter and complete horseshit. I just didn't know it, right? I just didn't know it um, until I, so when I got out of the military and I, I don't even know how it happened because I, I moved from the military to a more conservative area, which is where I am right now. Um, and somehow just broke that bubble. Um, I, I, I think I really saw it for the first time when, when I saw Trump rising and, and Facebook, I'm still on Facebook just for a few groups that I'm in, but Facebook shows you your memories of things that you posted 10 years ago because I'm old and so you can see that far back and you can see me like railing at Obama and, and scream like when Obamacare was coming down and, and just kind of spouting that Fox News-ism with my own sort of countryfied take on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did, and, it, and I believed it fully at the time. I believed it. And then I got out and somehow when I watched the rise of Trump, um, you can see on my Facebook timeline when I started to get concerned. Because at first I was laughing because we watched The Apprentice and thought he was yeah. a buffoon. And, yeah. and I laughed until there were, and, and when there were about seven or eight people left on that debate stage of the Republicans, at one point I posted, this shit ain't funny anymore, guys. This guy's going to win, <laughs> you know? And, and, and then when I watched the train roll down the tracks, I just started seeking, seeking alternate things. And, and I found my people, honestly. Yeah. yeah. They were uh, always my people. They were always my I think, people, I think, you know? I think this is a great discussion because, I mean, medicine is probably always inherently political, but not sure. everything about medicine and healthcare is political or needs to be political and the problem i mean that i see is with coronavirus is that it's just become this like massive partisan divide where you're yeah. you're not representing your side if you're not like doing certain things and sure. that that is kind of to the detriment of everybody to everybody you know that's what i've been telling people i'm like you know all these jackholes out there who are who are like you know, just because, you know, we bathe in this bullshit all day long. It's like every day I bathe in coronavirus and then you come home and then I limit my social life and I, and I stay locked into my house. I've gained 25 pounds. I'm fat as fuck. And, and it's, uh, and I drink too much bourbon and, and I watch these other people just sort of tiptoe through their life and they're like, fuck it, freedom, you know? But I was like, you guys want to get back to normal so bad that you're making the rest of us 
never get back to normal. I was like, yeah. you are not only, you're, you're the problem. And they, it's like, they just can't see it. And I try to explain it to my patients and I try to explain it to the nursing staff. You know, uh, I've had staff recently, a bunch of nurses in our hospital went to Nashville bar hopping for a bachelorette party. But they're all young and, yeah. you know, the young people and they, they don't feel the urgency because they haven't seen a 25 year old die. But I'm like, you don't understand that your trip to Nashville could have killed my mother a hundred miles away a month later. They don't see that yeah. cause and effect. And, and if you can't see a direct cause and effect, we were joking around on Twitter earlier. I said, you know, if you got it and your dick fell off in 15 minutes, uh, you know, this thing would have been shut down with 15 cases, like <laughs> Trump said, right? Give, give it a yeah, little if time. If this had an, a fatality rate like a, Ebola, I mean, this would have been shut down. There would be no For questions. sure. That's, yeah, actually, I Twitter. Scott uh, Atlas I, would I be stuck back in his office in Stanford. I mean, Scott it's Atlas a, needs to a be travesty. Plugged. Scott Atlas needs to be bullied by a bunch of college frat boys and given swirlies and have his MD strip from him. That dude. Um, uh the the whole penis thing though give it some time with all the weird like long-term effects we're <laughs> yeah, seeing you never know COVID, that could be there's ischemic effects long. i wouldn't be shocked if they're like yeah like Dude, long-term influences so this, related this this has been a really weird week for me um without violating hipaa or but this anything. is taking an interesting oh. turn I'm, this is a, i'm wondering how this uh, is going to connect <laughs> no but so my dick fell off it's weird it's wild but i tested negative long story no, uh, short yeah no but like over the last um over the last recent times i have had a very young person um had a stroke that ended up being a dissection of one of her cerebral arteries not a vertebral from chiropractic um that randomly tested positive for covid i had a guy in his 40s with an MI that the, the cardiologist thought might have been a coronary dissection that he called me to say, by the way, that guy had COVID. Um, and then I had a young person pre-sexual activity uh, and all that stuff have a period that bled down to like seven, uh, you know, had never had done that before. And that's all been wow. relatively recently. And I'm like, and she was randomly positive for COVID. Um, and I was like, is that connected? I don't know. If it is, it's case reportable, I'm sure, but I'm too lazy to case report it. But uh, oh, you're not lazy. You're like, just busy. <laughs> you're yeah, much, I'm just like, what's happening? Yeah. yeah, that's really like, interesting. Yeah, yeah the things I've weird. seen with COVID are, are terrifying. I had someone who was very young have uh, a massive stroke who was COVID positive, and that was really their only risk factor for stroke. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they ended up dying in the emergency department. Um, but yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's terrifying. Uh, but because you don't know, because it's like you know, because the prevalence is so high right now, it's like, well, fuck, everybody's got COVID, so maybe it's just a coincidence. But Jesus, I mean, those are weird. They they were weird cases, cases that I did not expect. I mean, really, you know, honestly, this patient that that stroked with the dissection was so young that when I called neurology, like I walked in the room and she was like, yeah, I can't move my left side or whatever. And I was like, bullshit, Conver you know, conversion disorder. Uh, I think I saw your mouth twitch and it's not really sad. Cause I, cause my, my, my doctor brain wanted to see that. And I called neurology and I was like, yo, I got some bullshit for you. I was like, you know, they really just won't move their freaking left side. I was like, I don't think it's anything. And then it was, you know? So yeah. um, it made me question my own judgment because I, I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in front of me. So, um, yeah. and I imagine it's not going to get much better. How, how are things in your how How are things in your county now? How so, in our region, so our numbers have been on kind of a I guess we're stable ish day to day, 
but over the last so our state went to phase five of their reopening plan which was basically reopen with masks uh, that nobody wears and uh, so we in my hospital we're okay but all of our referral centers are filling up and so the sickest of our sick you know if these people need like rotoprone beds or or even are whispering ECMO or needing advanced ventilator settings because our our intensivists are not board certified intensivists. They are internists and family practice docs right. that like to work in the, right. you know, that work in a medical port in ICU. So yeah. the, the very, and so those people are, and we send every single one of our, we don't do inpatient dialysis. So if you have, if you're on dialysis and you come to me with a broken ankle requiring repair, you get transferred. But when that goes away, what are we going to do with these people? We're just going to yeah. be stacking them. You know, we're going to be stacking them. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So, and nobody seems to realize that we can go from slow to busy to underwater in a period of about a week. You know, it, like right. it, that's what's kind of happening everywhere. It sounds like like El Paso went, hey, man, it's getting fucking busy out here. And now they got 10 morgue trucks, uh, yeah. you know, right. so. Yeah, one of the most annoying to me arguments that I hear from people is that like emergency rooms and hospitals like to be operating at like close to capacity. I mean, that's like well, smart, for a, smart for business thing, move. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, obviously that's historically been true, but in this case, there's no, there's no reserves. We can't like there's make no new, new doctors, new nurses overnight. And especially well, when right. a bunch, bunch of died. Um, sure. I mean, the national guard is setting up field hospitals in a bunch of States right now. I don't know. It's, it's, it boggles my mind. And I think yeah, seeing these, these surges in COVID, like it's affecting the people who don't believe in it. And then mm -hmm. they still don't, they still don't believe in it when they're in the hospital, when they're in the ICU. And oh yeah. I've had people try to refuse testing and they're like, I'm not participating in that, you know, bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you got COVID, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I read an article today cause I was talking about, I was, it, it crossed my mind. And then I saw an article, I think it was Bloomberg or something, but they were like, there's no medical Calvary now because like when New York, when New York and Seattle burned and the rest of the country was quiet, doctors and nurses rushed from all over the country to back their asses up. But now we're all on fire. Nobody's right. coming, you know, nobody's coming for us. Like if, if, I mean, like in my small ER group, we've got nine docs. Uh, we thus far somehow only one of us has gotten it. Um, and so we were able to swing that pretty good. But if three of us go down at the same time, there's no reserve. Like everybody else is just going to work around the clock for two weeks until they, and, and then it's going to, you know, wash, rinse and repeat. You know, we've got one nighttime hospitalist, like one. Wow. There's no reserve. We don't have a guy just sitting at home. Right. We have a, we have a daytime team and we have a single nocturnist that works, that covers the whole hospital. Yeah. I guess they could swing a little bit, but if a couple of them got sick at the same time, I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, nobody knows what to do. No, it's funny. We were just talking about it at the top of the show before uh, you came on. We were talking about how I had a recently a COVID scare and uh, it just turns out to be a cold yeah. I'm dealing with. But like that, that was uh, a whole thing I had to discuss with my team. I'm like, what am I going to do? This is going to change our whole workflow. And even though we've had time to prepare and I think we would be okay, it, it just one doc going down changes so much dramatically. For sure. And, For sure. And speaking of these docs that you you know, I'm, I'm really curious because, you know, we live here in our little bubble and, uh, you know, Lizzie yeah. and I don't work with a lot of doctors, some, but not a, not a ton of doctors who are at least openly, um, you know, supportive of the Trump administration. What, sure. how, how are doctors now dealing with it? Like doctors in red states that are more Republican, 
when they hear Trump say stuff like doctors are getting paid extra money for COVID. Like, how are they, is there cognitive dissonance? Are they just not thinking about it? They're not talking about yeah. it. How are they dealing with this? I think it, they, so, so I don't really, I don't really hear uh, like I am full, like I am certain that the majority of the physicians locally to me probably voted Trump. Um, I don't think a lot of them are very political necessarily. Um, but, uh, you know, because when it comes down to the end, a lot of people like I'm super into it, like I'm passionate about things and I have things that I'm, I believe in and, and stuff. But most of the people in my life are not. They don't watch the news. You know, my sister, like I just had to educate her over the last six months because she basically tunes that shit out. She just doesn't want to deal with the, the back and forth on policy. Uh, but really, it just comes down to the mental gymnastics that, that physicians had to do for the last four years and then to justify another vote. I mean, they're fucking Russian contortionists from the circus, you know, <laughs> uh, like I don't know how. I don't know how they 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 twisted enough to get their head that far up their asses because nothing has happened over the last four years that is positive for our patient experiences. Mm -hmm. Nothing. I mean, for everything from just disparities in healthcare uh, are only worse. Um, you know, and, and I mean, just if you can watch, you know, if you can watch a dude lock up people in cages, get called out on it, and keep doing it, and just blame the last guy. Yeah. I mean, I just that's. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure, man. Somehow I fucking became a snowflake in the last four years. It's super <laughs> weird. I used to be apolitical too. I feel like you, you just can't anymore. I mean, maybe there's some, the, the neuroradiologists or whatever of the world who aren't, <laughs> aren't seeing the reality of like COVID, of like horrible policies against immigrants, of all these other things. Um, but in my yeah. day to day, it's like, this could all be fixed on a political level. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think that, I mean, I think that emergency medicine, you know, I, I think one of the main reasons, frankly, probably one of the reasons why I've become more liberal as I've aged, you know, they say that you're supposed to be liberal and idealistic when you're 20 and broke, and then you become a conservative when you make money. And my journey has been a complete flip. Yeah. Uh, but, but being an ER doctor, we see the people like we're, we're talking to the people who are, taking their insulin every other day instead of every other, instead of every day so that they can both take insulin and keep their lights on. And, and you know, and, and my wife, we had, we didn't talk about, it. I don't even know if you know this about me. So my wife, um, my wife was the last enrollee worldwide in the Keytruda trial. So Keytruda is one of the immunotherapies that they use for lots of cancers now, but primarily melanoma. So in 2013, shortly after we separated the military, um, she had had a superficial melanoma removed like five years previous that got a sentinel node that was negative and we were just kind of watching her. And almost five years later, uh, she had another tumor pop up and uh, they did a PET scan and it was literally all over her. It was in multiple levels in her spine, her ribs, her, her dominant arm, uh, the shoulder, the, the collarbone, the lung. Um, and in 2013, metastatic stage four melanoma, you were dead. I mean, there was like, there's no coming back from that. Right. Um, and I started doing research um, in a panic because she took the, the treatments that were available then that were bullshit and nobody really responded to. Um, and she didn't, and she was getting worse. She was bed bound on oxygen, so much dope, her maximum dose for all the medical people listening her. So she was on 150 mics an hour of fentanyl patches. She was on four milligrams of Dilaudid every three hours on the clock, wake her up to give it to her. Um, and, uh, and instant release morphine every hour. 
the liquid, the, I can't remember what you call it, the given hospice. But, um, and I put my head into the literature, which is my privilege because I knew how to digest it. And I found this drug and I was like, shit, this drug looks promising. Um, and I made phone calls and I found out where they were studying it. And I emailed every oncologist in the country from Maine to, to UCLA that was studying it. And I said, I'm, my wife is 40. We have teenage girls. I'm a doctor. We will come to you. Please let us in this trial because it's either this or hospice, you know? Yeah. Um, and I started getting emails back on that. And this was like a Tuesday afternoon and people started going, Hey man, this trial closes at 5 PM on Friday, <laughs> you know? And I was like, shit. And this research nurse, the closest to us that was studying it was Vandy, but they said they were full. Um, and this blessed research nurse in uh, at Chapel Hill, at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, she had mercy on us and broke some rules and consented us for the trial over the phone without ever having seen them. We we fl we drove out the next day. We drove like 10 hours because it was too late to get a flight. We went out. Uh, so we enrolled. We signed the paperwork at like 4.58 p.m. the Friday it closed. So she is patient 600 out of 600. Um, and she got her injection and she's alive. Wow. Uh, but over over the course of the year, that all that treatment was out of my insurance network. Um, and so not only did I have to pay for two, two round flip, two round trip plane tickets uh, every three weeks for 14 months, two nights of hotel stays, meals, 50% of every scan, every lab, every doctor visit and everything like that. I probably paid 120 or more grand out of pocket in 14 months. Um, my wife's alive. She's alive today. She's in there probably wishing I'd shut the hell up. But um, the, but I think that's when I became really like super liberal with medicine because I was like, my wife is special to me. Yeah. She is special to our family. And if my wife died today, there are 20 people whose lives would be changed going forward, but yours wouldn't, yours wouldn't. So, you know, and, and, and that, I saw a word the other day um, online that I actually posted. It was called Sonder. It's from like a book called the book of uncounted sorrows or something like that. And Sonder, the idea of it is, is when you realize that other people around you are all living their own life where they're the center of focus, you know? And I think for the first time I, I grasped that and I was like, that lady couldn't have done it in town because she couldn't quit her job. She couldn't afford to fly to freaking North Carolina every three weeks for a year and a half, right. you know? And so my wife is alive because I have privilege and I don't think it should be a privileged thing, you know? So I think that's when I started putting on my like super liberal shirt. Uh, <laughs> that's good. We're glad to have you, man. That's an amazing yeah, man. story. That, that story, yeah. I mean, like, just gave me chills like that. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything better to, tell people about like why why healthcare matters why why these things matter yeah yeah like, that that's the reality you you have some really amazing stories and and the stuff you're doing both uh in the er and and on the television set you know i really commend you for uh and i gotta sure. tell you even if your sphere of influence in your local area uh, you don't think is huge uh, i'm sure it's bigger than you think um i appreciate and, it I've gotten some fan mail at the hospital. My daughter is moving out. I'll have to come visit you when this whole thing's over. My daughter is actually, she took a job. She graduated from business school last year. She's moving to San Francisco at some point. Oh, she excellent. was just out looking. She wants to live in the Marina district, Marina or well, something, well, Cowtown, Cowtown? Well, Cow Hollow. We'll, we'll talk Cow about Hollow, it. Yeah. I, I think we, there's cooler places she could live. No offense to the well, yeah, crowd who listens yeah, to us. No, no we'll, talk, we'll, talk yeah, offline. No we'll talk offline about it. Um, awesome, the mission's man. still cool. 
Um, but anyways, hey, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate hey, it. It's a blast talk talking to you. To you. Yep. Yeah, definitely yeah, will. Sure. Ryan, um, you got anything to add? Where Can you remind us where people can find you again? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Marino, R-Y-A-N-M-A-R-I-N-O. And thanks for having me. This was an amazing discussion. I mean, this, I don't, I don't know what to say. He <laughs> had a lot of great stuff to share. He's a cool guy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about favorite, him. One of my favorites on Twitter. Everybody should follow him. Totally agree. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about him like he's not here. Let's just. <laughs> I'm, I'm, about to take, I'm about to take my shirt off and start posing or something. <laughs> let's, let's get weird here, guys. Let's get weird. Yeah. Yeah. Not here. Like a... We can do whatever. Um, wait, where can people find you, Dr. Sample? So I'm just really, I'm just on Twitter. I'm at Superman Sings, S U P E R M A N S I N G S. Or Jafford MD, you could find it just a fucking ER doc. I'm just there, kind of. I'm I'm kind of half political, half med, or you know, part political, part medical, part. Here's my dogs and my kids' amazing voice or stuff like that. Like it's just sort of a mishmash. Like I want to be. My goal is to like be a Ryan Marino or a Jeremy Faust or an Esther Chu and, and just be this like thing. But then I'm like. Oh, hey, I saw this funny cat video. You guys should see that, you know? So, so, Ryan's uh, not above a, a cute dog. No, he's here. not, yeah, right? He's good. Know. He's good, oh. man. He's like, it's so funny. Uh, how old are you, Ryan? I'm 32. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because cause, cause like Ryan and uh, like a Seth Kruger and stuff like that, like I, I looked up to these guys, right? And then I realized that they're closer to my kids' age than they are to me, but they were, they're like the, they're like the grandfathers of med Twitter and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. but you get, Ryan, you, you, you're doing good work out there, brother. I appreciate you. There's nothing better than a good cat or dog video. Yeah, yeah for a sure. Good palate cleanser. You know, you got to throw those in every now and then. Absolutely. Totally yeah. um, all right, this is fun, guys. Let's do it again sometime. Wait, it's a, yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man. Just holler at me, okay? All right, man. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.